Passion for God and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Kurt Truxas. I don't know about you, but if you're like me, I've been glued to the television all week long. All the stuff going on in Afghanistan, I mean, it really gets me upset. Anybody else? Oh, yeah, it's like leaving thousands of Americans behind enemy lines, leaving military personnel behind enemy lines, and who knows how many millions, or is it billions of dollars in military equipment have been now given to the Taliban. I mean, people in America are angry, right? Yeah, I mean, I think they have a right to be angry. And this is a reminder of the danger of terrorists. We were told, to, you know, these terrorists, they're, they're nothing. They're in the mountains. They're just hiding out. It'll be months before they can begin to work their way across Afghanistan. No. These terrorists are tricky. It was a matter of days until they reconquered an entire nation. To our country's shame. This morning, we're going to be um, looking at terrorists, but a different kind of terrorists but an equally dangerous terrorist. In the book of Jude that we are going to be studying, we're talking about spiritual terrorists who try to slip in and take over a church. Just like the Taliban are plain-clothed people who slip into a city so you can't find who's a civilian and who's a warrior, in a similar way, spiritual terrorists operate that way. They work their way into a church, they look like everybody else. They act like everybody else until they do their devious work of taking down a church. They have taken over not just churches. They have taken over entire denominations. Spiritual terrorists have done this and caused incredible havoc. Now you say, what would a spiritual terrorist look like? Where can I see the work they've done? I'll give you an example. Most of the colleges that were originally founded in our nation were founded for the purpose of training up pastors to be able to share the gospel in our nation and ultimately around the world. I don't know if you realize that. I'll give you an example. Some colleges that were founded for that express purpose. Harvard, Princeton, Dartmouth, Columbia, Brown, and the University of Chicago. But all of them were attacked by spiritual terrorists who worked their way slowly on the inside of the organization, then steered those colleges completely away from Jesus. You will not find Jesus at Harvard. You will not find the gospel proclaimed at Princeton. You will not find any confidence in the Word of God if you go to the University of Chicago. It's all been destroyed by spiritual terrorists. In the book of Jude, it's all about us contending for the faith, fighting for the faith once and for all against spiritual terrorists who would seek to come inside of our church, destroy churches, and destroy denominations like the Taliban is busy destroying Afghanistan right now. Now, last week when we began the book of Jude, we just looked at the first two verses 
We did a little bit of introductory work. It was called Meet Jude. Learned who he was. He's actually the half-brother of Jesus Christ. Pretty neat. And then Jude gave us a greeting. And we learned something interesting in that greeting. That in this battle to preserve the truth of the gospel in the church, we are spiritually bulletproof. Well, will we take hits? Yes. Will there be pain involved? Oh, most definitely. But spiritually, we're safe. Jude identified us. He says, you are called by God, you are loved by the Father, and you are kept in the battle by Jesus Christ. Incredibly encouraging to know that in the battle to preserve the truth, we will, at the end of the day, come out victorious. Our salvation is never in question. Now today we're going to move from the first two verses. We're going to look at verses 3 and 4. I'd like you to turn to Jude. We're going to go ahead and turn in your Bibles and stand when you find that in your copy of God's Word. If you can, follow along in your copy of the Scriptures as I read verses 3 and 4 together. And then we're going to begin to work our way through this text. Beginning in verse 3, Jude writes, Beloved, Although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. They're ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality. And deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. That ends the reading of God's Word. You can be seated. Before we begin to unpack these verses, let me just give you the structure of the letter. In the ancient world, they didn't text to one another. Phones were not invented. Verizon was not around. What they did is they wrote letters to one another. And especially in Rome, there began to be a, a certain way that you wrote letters. It had to follow a certain structure, a certain form. This is what's called Roman rhetoric. Maybe some of you have studied that or seen that in school. What we find uh, is when we turn to the book of Jude, it actually fits one of these Roman rhetoric templates. And the way that correspondence in the ancient world was to be structured. And this is very important because once you know what the template is supposed to look like and then you put it on top of the book of Jude and you see the book of Jude was written that way, then you understand what certain parts of the book are meant to accomplish. Let me give you an example of what that may look like. For instance, uh, one of the first things you were supposed to do after you do the greeting in the letter, which was verses 1 and 2, was you were supposed to ex explain what was the purpose of the letter and then what you wanted to accomplish in the letter. And that's exactly what we just read in verses 3 and 4. If you look in your outlines, you'll see that. Verse 4, he gives us the reason that he wrote the letter. What is the reason? Apostates have slipped into the church, spiritual terrorists, in verse 3, he says this, what's the objective of the letter? The letter? What does he want? He hopes this letter will accomplish. That we must contend for the faith. The Christians would stay anchored in the faith and not drifted away from the faith as these apostates try to take them away. 
But there's more than just uh, these two structures at the beginning. Roman rhetoric, you would then get into the persuasion of the letter. Reasons why this is so important. And if you go to verses 5 through verse 16, that's exactly what you find. Jude will give us, I think it's eight or nine examples from history about the danger of turning away from the Lord and defying His Word. It will be example after example of what happened to people in the past and what happened even to angels when they did that. Then the last thing that would happen in Roman rhetoric is then when you close the letter, you would explain how you were to accomplish what you set out at the beginning to do. He said, I'm going to want you to contend for the faith. And the closing part of this letter explains how, as Christians, we contend for the faith. How we fight for the faith. That's in verses 17 through 23. So that shows you how the book of Jude is put together. It's put together like an ancient letter would be put together. And it completely follows that form and the structure of how it's set to accomplish its purpose. And this morning, we're only going to look at verses 3 and 4. Verse 3, as we learned, is really the theme of the letter, which is that we must contend for the faith. So uh, let me just mention to you, by the way, that Jude isn't the only one out there in the Bible who tells us that we must fight for the faith that has once for all been delivered to the saints. He's not the only one who tells us that people are going to try and take us away from Jesus and the historic truth of Jesus. In fact, that's all over the Scriptures. Let me give you some examples. Paul writes to Timothy. He says, O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and the contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. Timothy we have entrusted into your hands the good deposit, what is the gospel message. Avoid these people who have this, all this irreverent babble who are coming along, oh, I have some special knowledge, some secret words from God. It's like, don't even listen to those people. They're trying to take you away from Jesus. Because folks, when you leave the gospel message, you leave the only way to be saved. That's why it's so important to protect the truth. Second Timothy, he says, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit that's been entrusted to you. And I like this word, good deposit. In the Greek, it really means something that was put into your hands for safe keepings. It's the stuff that you would put in a safety deposit box in the bank. Something that nothing can happen to it. You must protect it and not change it. The gospel message was given to you, Timothy. Guard it, protect it, and don't let anything happen to it. Now, what is this gospel message? It's essentially this. Folks, we are saved by grace alone. We are saved by faith alone. We are saved by Jesus alone. And this is only found in the Bible alone. Sola Scriptura, if you want to use that one. That is what Timothy is to guard and protect. And not only is he to protect that, but he was to make sure that truth was handed off to other people. 2 Timothy 2 verse 2. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. When you guard this truth, 
of being saved by Jesus Christ, pass on this truth to reliable people. Paul also writes in 1 Timothy 3.15, And if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God. And the church is what? A pillar and buttress of the truth. The church literally is to be a pillar and foundation of God's truth in this world. When you come into the church, you should be able to find the most important truth in the world. This is the one place that it should be faithfully proclaimed and honestly kept and protected. And it's a sad day when you go into a church and the gospel truth of being saved by grace alone Faith alone and Jesus alone is not proclaimed. Now, when you come to Jude, what we find is this gospel message that must be protected is under attack. It's not being attacked from people outside of the church, it's being attacked by people who have infiltrated into the church that are posing as Christians, that are actually not genuine Christians. They're adding to this gospel message. They're changing this gospel message. They're slightly taking away from this gospel message to lead people astray. And this is so incredibly dangerous because when you take away from the gospel message or add to the gospel message, what you find is people are no longer saved. Jude says this, For certain people have crept in unnoticed, you can feel the disdain in his voice. He describes them in verse 12. These are hidden reefs at your love feasts as they feast with you without fear. They're sitting right next to you in church during your love feast. What's the love feast? The Lord's Supper. They're taking communion right with you. They have no fear, no trepidation on their face faith face while they're trying to take you away from Jesus. They're like a hidden reef. If you've ever seen sailing and you know that if you sometimes go by an island, you have a coral reef that is built up. It's right beneath the surface of the waves. You can't see it there. It looks fine. But the ship is sailing along. It hits that reef. And the coral reef tears the bottom of the ship out and the whole thing goes down like the Titanic did when it hit an iceberg. And that's how Jude describes these people. You do not see the danger they pose as they are trying to take you away and alter the gospel because they will destroy you. They will destroy the church and ruin it in an instant. Now, let's get in and look at some of the beginning verses here. One of the first things Jude tells us is we share a common salvation from God's judgment. He says, Behold, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, and then he moves on. Let me read that. At first it sounds like that's sort of a throwaway verse, just a, a sort of an introductory verse. But there's actually far more in this verse than we realize. It's this word salvation. For many of us, the word salvation is synonymous with being a Christian. We say, hey, are you saved? That means are you a Christian? And in many ways, that's a fair equation. But salvation, that word, carries far more freight in it than just saying, are you a Christian? It means we are being saved from something. What are we being saved from? 
Anybody know? We're being saved from sin. We're being saved from God's wrath. We're being saved from judgment. We're being saved from the wrath of God that we fully deserve for our sin. That's good news, folks. And I like the way Jude, what Jude calls us. He says, I was going to talk about our common salvation. The idea of, guess what? Anybody can be saved by God's wrath, by Jesus. God is not just fully just, but God is incredibly loving. He loves you, he loves me so much that he sent his own son, his own son, to die on the cross in your place for your sin. And the only way we can be saved is simply by trusting him, giving our life to him, and being saved by him to take away our sin. That's how much God loves us. So the deal is that our salvation is common, it's open to all, but it's exclusive. It's only found in Jesus. No other place and no other person we can be saved. Now, I mentioned a moment ago that we're being saved from God's wrath, and I thought to myself, well, I wonder what God's wrath looks like. And as I was studying through Jude, I think we have a number of little pictures of what God's wrath looks like. I thought back to the one series we did oh, a couple of years ago. Remember we did a series on hell? Four weeks of a guided tour of hell. That really brought everybody into church. It was pretty cool. Um, but one of the things we saw is that God's wrath is pictured as fire and it's pictured as utter darkness. You go through Jude, that's what you find. The exact same picture. Jude chapter, verse 6. And the angels who do not stay in their own positions of authority but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal change under what? Gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Jude 7, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of what? Eternal fire. Verse 13, wild waves of the sea, casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. 23, save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even garments stained by the flesh. So God's judgment, His wrath, is described as fire and utter darkness. But the incredible good news is that God loves us. He sent His Son to die for us. And anyone can be saved by Him. It's a common salvation. But it's an exclusive salvation. That salvation is only found in Jesus. And the church is to be the pillar and the buttress of that truth, the foundation of that truth in the world, which is why here at Crosswinds, our goal is we are always about reaching people with Jesus, telling them the truth of our sin, but telling them about the incredible love of Jesus. You always hear us talking about that and always hear us pursuing that. Jude continues. 
we have a common salvation, but he says we must fight for the faith, this faith that has now been delivered once for all to the saints. Sometimes we hear that the Christian faith didn't develop when Jesus was around, but it developed later in time. It took a few hundred years, then traditions began to develop, and then eventually churches began to form, and the Christian faith was a later thing. That's just not true. Not true at all. What we find is that the Christian faith is not something that anyone made up. Jude describes the Christian faith as what was delivered to us by God himself. What we believe as historic Christians is not something people made. It's the truth that God gave us. That's why we know it's true. You want to go to Islam? Muhammad made it up. Five points. You want to go to Buddha? Buddha Buddhism. Buddha made it up. You want to go to the Christian faith? We didn't make it up. Jude says God delivered it to us, which is why we know it is true. When Paul was writing to the Corinthian church, we find that in the Corinthian church, they were trying to change the gospel a little bit. They were trying to take away this belief in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Why can't it be that Jesus just died on the cross? Why do we have to believe he rose from the grave? That's a big ask. And Paul writes to the Corinthians, hey, this whole resurrection thing, I didn't make it up. It was delivered to me. It's actually from God originally. Let's look at how he writes this, about this in 1 Corinthians 15. Now it reminds you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. Notice this. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, if you do not hold to that gospel message, you will not be saved. You see how he says that? For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. I didn't make it up. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. That He was buried and that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Paul says, I didn't make this up. This is what I received. It was delivered to me. That's how I know it's true. Delivered by God. He also describes this as delivered by God once and for all. This gospel message is complete. There is no later additions. There is no additional revelation coming. Everything we need to know to be saved by Jesus has been given to us and is found by us in the Scriptures itself. There is no, what I would call, updates. How many of you have phones? Like, how many times a week does your phone update? Do the apps update? Like, every day. Because there's something wrong with an app. It says, we are fixing bugs because we got it wrong. The gospel message, the truth that has been delivered to us to be, how to be saved from Jesus, does not need an update. It was delivered by God perfect the first time. 
the point is that when you see somebody trying to update a way of salvation, you know who the author of that update is. It's not Jesus. It's not God. It's Satan himself. You reject it. You do not load it into the operating system of your mind. The problem with our culture is our culture doesn't like the idea of staying anchored to old things. Our culture likes the idea of always having new things. People by nature um, sort of are eclectic in the way they work. They say, okay, well, I have a little Jesus in the Bible, and then my friends brought me over to the seminar about um, how to try and get with my one essence, and I, I added that in there. And then I read this stuff about Krishna, and I add that in there. And they have all these belief systems they sort of take together, and they mix like decks of cards, blending them all together. And Jude would say, people who do that are falling victim to spiritual terrorists. The only way to be saved, and I'll say it again, so we don't ever forget this, is by grace alone, through faith alone, through Jesus alone, found in the Scriptures alone. If you deviate off of that, you are deviating from being saved. This reminds me a little bit of the Mormon church. Now, I know as soon as I bring the Mormon church up, I'm going to start to get mail this week. But let's go ahead and just tee it up and we'll talk about it. The gospel comes along. The gospel is delivered to us by God. It's delivered to us once for all by God. Jude says, no updates needed. About 2,000 years later comes the Mormon church. It says, oh, by the way, God's giving us an update. It's called the Book of Mormon. It now supersedes the Bible. It now reinterprets the Bible. That's what you need. And Jude would say, you guys are spiritual terrorists. Stay as far away from them as you can. They're trying to destroy the gospel. Just to prove this to you, I, mean, I went to the Mormon wiki site to, to quote them. Here's off the Mormon wiki site. They say, God continues to reveal guidance and commandments to help his faithful followers avoid the difficulties of this world and build his kingdom on earth. Jude says, no, he doesn't. The salvation is revealed once for all. Everything we need to know to live to please Jesus is found in this book. We do not need the Book of Mormon. In fact, it's taking us away from this book. Then they continue. The Mormon church has an open canon of Scripture. Canon means a rule or a standard. We have a closed canon. In other words, it goes from Genesis to Revelation, and then God stopped giving His revelation. This is it. Well, they believe that God is continually giving new books and new revelation to add on top of this, to supersede this, which is the recipe, Jude says, of a spiritual terrorist trying to take you away from the only way to be saved. So that's the theme of the letter. Now let's look at the occasion for the letter. For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. First point to notice is that apostasy penetrates the church. He says certain people have crept in unnoticed. 
this word creep in the Greek. It's only found here in the New Testament, but it is found in other Greek literature outside of the Bible. It was used to describe lawyers who would try to creep into the minds of a jury or a judge to pollute their minds so they couldn't see clearly and make a good decision on what would normally be an easy case. Always sort of sowing seeds of doubt and trying to pervert people's minds. That is what Jude says spiritual terrorists do. They look just like you and me. They're not saved. They get into the church. They buddy up with people in the church. They get close to people in the church. And then they worm their way into people's minds and try and produce doubt about the gospel to pull you away from the gospel, to ruin your salvation. Peter writes about them this way. For false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. Who, What will they do? Who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. The most dangerous people are people who are inside the church to try and attack the church. Sort of like Edward Snowden's people who are inside the government, who try to attack the government and um, undermine the government. These are people who get on boards of church, people who um, um, get in leadership positions in churches and denominations, and then they corrupt the whole thing, leading it astray. Thomas Manton, who was a Puritan, wrote about it this way. He says, they are like worms. They get inside the body, they devour a person's entrails, and they eat a person's heart. Boy, that's graphic. Puritans are graphic people, but I think he's right. That's what spiritual terrorists do in the church. Destroy it from the inside. Jesus also speaks about spiritual terrorists this way. He says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Jesus says, beware of false prophets. Test the teachers. Don't just accept everybody as your spiritual teacher. Last night when I finished preparing for the sermon, I went home and there's this catalog that's on our kitchen island. I don't know if it was CBD or something else. I start flipping through it. And I realized this is what you guys get in your mail. And they're all put as equal. There's T.D. Jakes in there, Joe Osteen in there, Joyce Meyer in there, right next to solid guys like Erwin Lutzer. And if you don't know what they believe, you will be easily led astray. Because I'm going to tell you, some of those people are spiritual terrorists. They're heretics of the faith. But they're being published by Christian publishers. You need to be discerning. Do not be led astray. Jesus says they come to you in sheep's clothing. Now, a sheep's clothing is wool. You may not realize this, but in the Old Testament, the standard garb of the prophet was a wool cloak. In other words, they look really spiritual. They dress the part. 
Today we would say they come wearing a white or black shirt with a white collar, looking all religious and super spiritual. But the reality is they're ravenous wolves looking spiritually to get inside the church so they can destroy the church from the inside by ruining people's confidence in the gospel message, which, my friends, is the only way anybody can be saved. Anybody can be saved by the gospel, but it's only by the gospel, which has been once for all delivered to the saints. Now, Paul writes about this. He says that, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw, people aw- to draw away the disciples after them. You think this idea of spiritual terrorism is a small thing? People ruining the church from the inside? It's a big thing. Go look in your scriptures. What do you find? The church in Galatia and the book of Galatians is written to counter spiritual terrorists. The church in Colossae and the book of Colossians is written to counter spiritual terrorists. The church in Corinth and the Corinthian letters were written to counter spiritual terrorists. First, second, and third John were written to counter spiritual terrorists who are trying to take people away from the gospel message, working their way into the church, gaining the trust of the people as they did it. I like the way 2 John says this. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting, for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. If you know somebody comes to you and you know that they are not teaching the gospel message, don't even have them in your house because all they're going to try and do is worm your way in, their way into your heart to lead you astray. Which, by the way, this is a great instruction about what to do to the Jehovah's Witnesses that come knocking at your door. You don't even answer the door. You don't even let them in. I've talked to people who say, well, I have them in. I give them tea. I give them cookies. And we try to talk about the Bible. And everything they're trying to do is to try and worm into your heart, take you away from the Bible. To take away your confidence in Jesus. That's what they're schooled in. And John says, then don't waste your time with them letting them lead you astray. So the first thing we need to remember is that apostates will try to penetrate a church. They'll try to penetrate deep into a church or deep into a denomination to add to the gospel or to change the gospel and to ruin people's faith. And so Jude says you must protect your church, you must protect your life, because this is the only way to be saved. Now, the next point he makes is this. The condemnation of apostates was predicted. He says, who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Literally, this means they were marked out for this condemnation. The Greek word means pre-programmed for condemnation. Long ago, God has been talking about apostates who have tried to work their way into the church and how he will deal with them and how he will ultimately condemn them. Now, sometimes when we get into these conversations with people in the church who are sort of apostates, we sort of shy away from that. I don't want to, like, turn them away from the gospel. I don't want to make them uncomfortable. And Jude says, they've been in the church. They know the gospel. They've rejected the gospel. 
and God has condemned them. You don't need to condemn them. Just read the mail. Show them how God has condemned them. We see this in Jude 14 through 15. He says, It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of His holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they've committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against Him. Jude says, God has been speaking to get these guys like a long time ago. Seven generations from Adam, he began talking about the fact that he is going to judge the ungodly who are taking people away from his word. So when you talk to them and you confront them, don't be afraid of that. Just read God's mail. I'll give you an example of the danger that apostates can cause in a church. When I was in my 20s, which, by the way, was a very long time ago. I was a youth pastor at the time, and there was a United Methodist Church in the town next to us. And the pastor had been there, had been there for a while. And the next thing we know, um, this pastor's wife left him. Everybody felt sorry for him that the wife had left him. Then it comes out later that the reason his wife left him is because he was a homosexual, and he was pursuing intimate relationships with other men. And she just couldn't handle it anymore. Now, when it came out that he was a practicing homosexual, that caused a lot of stir in that particular church, understandably so. He had been there quite some time, and so the church began to have meetings about what they should do about this. And I will tell you the outcome. The church kept him as their pastor. He was a spiritual terrorist who crept his way into the church, wormed his way into the hearts of people, who was condemned by God. And he didn't just take down his life, but he took down the entire church with him, which is exactly what spiritual terrorists will do. I had a little bit of a front row seat to that particular battle. One of the ladies who was part of that church ended up coming to our church and told me about these meetings. And sometimes you got to like old ladies because they're not afraid to speak the truth. And she got up front one day and she held her Bible in one hand and she held the Methodist Book of Discipline in, in the other hand and she says, we have to decide what we are going to believe. The Bible, which has been delivered once for all and has never changed, or the book of discipline we get from our denomination, which changes every year. And the way we decide will determine what God will do with us. And she was dead right. Did not go well for that church. Because that spiritual terrorist wormed his way in and took the entire church down with him. She was right. She spoke it very clearly. Point C. Apostates are recognized, we see, by their ungodly character. Jude says this, if you want to recognize an apostate among you, look for ungodliness. They will claim to represent God. They will claim to speak for God. But the reality is that they will have no genuine connection to God. And you'll be able to see it by the ungodliness of how they live. Jude loves this word ungodly. I'll show you in verse 15. 
he says, to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. You think Jude likes that word? Big characteristic of these people. They play the religion game, but they have no genuine love for Jesus. I'll give you an example of another apostate that crept their way into a church institution. At Wheaton College, they had a political science professor named Dr. Lyrcia Hawkins. Um, she claimed to be a Christian. She acted like a Christian. She was hired by Wheaton College, which is one of the premier Christian colleges in the nation. But people kept saying that they felt she was a little bit off. Something wasn't quite right. Then after a few years, one day she wore a hijab to um, teach. You know that head covering the Muslim women each? Then later on, something else strange came out. She posted on Facebook, said, you know, I really believe the Muslims and the Christians actually worship the same God. Then it was taken down. But not fast enough, because you know what people do when they see something like that. Screen capture. She revealed her true beliefs. And she was summarily fired, and rightfully so. She wasn't a Christian. She was a spiritual terrorist who pretended to be a Christian, who looked like a Christian, who wormed her way to teaching young men and young women in college that Jesus Christ is really not the only way to be saved. These are the kind of terrorists that Jude is talking about, that we must contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. Next point, apostates are recognized by their sensual life. It says, who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality. This word sensuality is illicit pleasure. Pleasure in this world that it comes usually through a sinful way of receiving it, like extramarital sex, extramarital affairs, drinking to the point of drunkenness. And what they do is they pursue these sensual pleasures, but they do it perverting the grace of God. In other words, saying, it's okay because Jesus forgives me. Jesus' forgiveness is to them a green light for sinful pleasures. That is how you recognize a spiritual terrorist. No desire to please Jesus, but they just want the forgiveness of Jesus. By the way, as Christians, we should pursue pleasure. But the pleasure we pursue is not just pleasure in this life. We pursue a greater pleasure, which is pleasing Jesus which is being rewarded by Jesus in the next life. So it's not like as Christians we don't like pleasure. We just live for a greater pleasure, which is pleasing Jesus. They live, you can recognize it, by a lesser pleasure, which is just the pleasure that is found in this world. They live for what is sensual feelings. Now, I'll wrap this up. He says this, Apostates are recognized by their denial of Jesus as their master and deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Jude says you recognize them because they will not call Jesus their Lord 
and they will not call Jesus their master. The word master here is the Greek word despote. It means like the one who is the king boss, who is in charge of things. A despot would be, in Greek, would be the king of a country. The one who's in total charge. These people refuse to recognize Jesus as the one who's in charge of the universe and the one who deserves to be in charge of their life. They want to be saved by Jesus. They want to have all the forgiveness of Jesus, but they do not want Jesus to be their Lord and their master and submit to Him. That is how you recognize them. Now, I told you that the spiritual terrorists slipped their way into churches, lead people astray right under our noses. I'm going to show you a way that spiritual terrorists slipped into American Christianity. It was very popular for about a decade, and many people didn't see it. Back in um, 1918, Lewis Sperry Schaefer wrote a book called He That Is Spiritual. In that book, building off of 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he said there are actually two different kinds of Christians. There are carnal Christians and spiritual Christians. Those of you who are older may have heard of this. A carnal Christian is somebody who has asked Jesus to be their Savior, but they have not asked Jesus to be their Lord. They're saved, but they're not enjoying all the benefits of being saved. And a spiritual Christian, he said, was somebody who has asked Jesus to be, their, to be saved, and they've asked Jesus to be their Lord of their life. So he said there's these two different kinds of Christians. This eventually made its way into Campus Crusade for Christ literature, into their gospel presentation literature. Go ahead and put that up if you could. Has anybody ever seen this? Thank you. Charlie's seen it. Nick, you got, yeah, you guys have seen this. Here's the problem. He says, and this is Campus Crusade literature, there's natural man where the ego or the person is on the center of the throne of their life, and Jesus is outside of their life. They're not saved. Then you come to the right side. Here's a person who has Jesus in their life. They're saved by Jesus, but they're still in charge. The ego is in charge of it. Jesus has saved them, but He's not the Lord of them. Then the middle one is somebody who has asked Jesus to be their Savior, plus asked Jesus to be their Lord in charge of the way they lived. And the material says these two right ones are Christians, saved. What would Jude say about that? Thank you. Exactly. Spiritual terrorists want to be saved by Jesus. But what do they do? Deny Him as their Lord and Master. It's a package deal, folks. The only way to be saved by Jesus is to also have Him as your Lord and Master of your life. That's the way it works. And that teaching crept right into Campus Crusade for Christ and was dominant for years until they saw the mistake and they removed it all. So folks, this is what I want to challenge you with. Spiritual terrorists are out there. They are trying to worm their way into churches and denominations to lead people astray. 
from the gospel message that was delivered to us from God, and it's a once-for-all gospel message. It should never change that we're saved by grace alone, faith alone, in Jesus alone. And you can recognize these terrorists by looking at the way they live, the ungodliness of their life, because they're living for pleasure here and now, not for pleasure with Jesus. And they want to be saved by Jesus, but they won't want to have Jesus as their Lord and Master who guides and directs their choices and values and lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for what your word has told us today about the danger of spiritual terrorists. As a church, may we be a church that consistently keeps our finger in the text and even deals with some of the more difficult passages in your word. But it's the word that teaches us the truth that we so desperately need to know. When times come, that spiritual terrorists who would seek to lead us away from the gospel would try to infiltrate our personal life or try to infiltrate our church's life. May we be people who contend well and stand up for the gospel delivered once for all to the saints so that we would be saved and the generations of people after us in Crossman's Church would be saved as well. We ask this in Christ's precious name. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Kurt's sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thanks for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.